Welcome everyone to the Rebels with the Heart uh, conference series. We are excited to have you joining us and excited even more so for our panelists to be joining us for the conversation. Um, as we kind of highlighted, the point of this, of this event is really to demonstrate in this world that we live in, how leaders can create their own rules and we can create a new reality for how people and companies and our values all intersect and how we can create a better workplace and a better home life as far as this world's convergence has shown. And as we emerge into our new normal, we can make it even better, even better, more powerful and create a, a greater degree of happiness and thriving for our people, for our, our organizations, our communities and overall our purpose. So with that, I'm very grateful for all of our attendees and you're making the time here and even more so for our panelists. So Natalie, if you would, please introduce yourself and, and your background and, and welcome again to the conversation. Thank you. Sounds wonderful. Thank you, Derek. Uh, so my name is Natalie Dopp and I am currently the Chief People Officer at Integrate. I'll tell you a little bit about my background. I got my degree from the University of Arizona quite outnumbered at my home because my husband went to ASU, my oldest daughter, and now my youngest daughter. So it is quite fun in the DOP household as we live in Arizona. Uh, started out my career um, in the insurance industry, then went into oil and gas, all being in HR, uh, then went into nonprofit, and then transferred to the tech world and had a really fun run at LifeLock where we went public and then most recently um, have been at Integrate, which is also a tech company as a B2B marketing tech company. So it's been wonderful and uh, have really enjoyed it. So thank you, Derek. Amazing. Thank you, Natalie. And Jerome, welcome to you as well, sir. Thank you for your time. Yeah, well, thank you for having me, Derek. Um, so my name is Jerome Turning. I'm the uh, founder and CEO of Smart Recruiters. Uh, we are a talent acquisition suite, so kind of the generational successor to uh, the applicant tracking systems that many companies uh, still uh, use to track um, candidates. Um, we serve about a thousand enterprises uh, around the world, um, big names like Visa, Bosch, uh, Twitter, even LinkedIn actually uses us globally to manage their own hiring. Um, we're headquartered in San Francisco, about 300 people around the world, um, Europe and US, some, some Asia. And um, yeah, we've, uh, we're on a mission to connect people to jobs at scale. So I guess our mission has just become a lot more important. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you again, Jerome. And Jason, uh, with you, welcome as well. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. A pleasure to be uh, with this group. Jason Ashlock, I'm the Senior Vice President for Customer and Employee Experience at Kuna & Nagel, uh, which is a 130-year-old supply chain logistics forwarding organization with about 90,000 employees in 115 countries and 1,500 locations or so. Um, my work spans uh, a, a quite a large domain, actually, uh, questions related to building the right cultural environment and maintaining the right leadership engagement uh, that creates a service culture and develops and fosters a service worldview uh, for the purposes of creating the ideal customer experience. So I get to look after all sorts of employee journeys and customer journey elements and look at technology and culture and, and leadership components that buttress all of that uh, into the ideal experience. And uh, maybe Jerome, you feel like your work is more important these days. I agree with you. Um, certainly supply chain is something most people never thought about before and now everybody's talking about. So uh, we, were, we were maybe before kind of shadow uh, component of the economy and now everybody wants to know about the supply chain design. Uh, exactly, so, uh, front, front and center. Exactly. 
I'd imagine you're very active. Yeah. And then just as a reminder, everyone, I'm, I'm Derek Lunston. I'm the CEO of Life Guides. And we are a platform that matches people who are going through some sort of life challenge with someone who's been through the same or a very similar experience so they can receive peer-to-peer -peer -peer mentorship and support to help people thrive both at home and at work. And that's really what we are focusing on doing within the context. So I think one thing I heard from all of you is your focus around culture, around people, around creating healthier lives, healthier companies, uh, fulfilled workforces, and, and people working in purpose. So I really want to acknowledge each of you in doing that. It sounds like you would, you would not be where you are in your lives had you not been prioritizing those values already in your career. And I think that in the world that we live in now, uh, we have a chance to write the rules a little bit differently for HR and for people in general. And uh, Circumstantially, we're being, we're being literally forced to evolve as, a, or as an organization, as a, as a group of organizations. And so I'd love to hear from, from each of you just some of the practical things that you're seeing and doing um, in your companies in response to the fact that, you know, work and school and home have all become one. And we're even right now, we're meeting across the country on Zoom uh, in, from our living rooms and home offices. And uh, I think it's a really fascinating piece that we're seeing for all of our people. So maybe we'll start with you, Natalie, and we can kind of work around on that particular question to begin, if that's okay with you guys. Absolutely, sounds good. So as uh, we've really become interconnected with our home and our work lives, uh, our senior leadership team here at Integrate has really stepped up. So we have a very unique CEO, his name is Jeremy Bloom, and he is a former Olympian as well as a former prof professional football player. So with that, um, you can imagine that health and well-being, both mental and physical, are top of mind for him. And so he, on our weekly town halls that we started hosting, has, has really made sure that our employees understand and he encourages employees to go out and get active whether that is a bike ride or a hike or anything like that he really encourages employees and he didn't use the words after hours you know he's like look during the middle of the day get up walk around do something so that you are taking care of yourself during this time of high stress for individuals We've also highly encouraged unlimited PTO that we have. So we're encouraging our people to take the time they need. You know, as we're getting burnout and all of these days are blurring together, we wanna make sure that our employees are taking the time that they need in order to refresh and recharge. And then every month uh, we now publicize what we call the Unity Gazette. And basically that is our monthly newsletter and we do have a wellness corner. And so we make sure that we highlight mental health wellness and we encourage our employees to really take care of themselves. And May coming up is Mental Health Awareness Month is right now. So we're going to make sure that we're sharing apps and tips and our CEO is always the first person to go out of his comfort zone and try a new app and then report back to the company how it worked. We've also brought in some guest speakers at our town hall. So we brought in a sleep scientist um, who came in and really encouraged our employees to get the sleep that they need and talked about really how that can create productivity during the day and to truly understand your circadian rhythm and some interesting sleep dynamics. And we've all downloaded an app that kind of tracks that and it's become a really fun part of the conversation that our leaders and our employees are having. So we're really trying to create a unique environment um, in these very stressful times between our leaders and employees by really leading with grace and empathy. So that's been our, our front and foremost. Awesome. I'm going to come back to some questions on that, but thank you for that overview, Natalie. That was very helpful. Thanks. Sure. 
Jerome, how about yourself? What, what practical things are you seeing and observing and implementing in your organization and with your clients? I mean, the first, the, the first thing we, we did, and I won't give you the whole shebang of, of all measures, but the first move we did was actually to create the smart cafe that is here behind me. Uh, and uh, interestingly, uh, the smart cafe is within a week, it has become the place where we meet. Um, and uh, to the point that like literally within a week, I had people said, hey, Jerome, when this whole thing is over, we got to make sure we keep the smart cafe. And uh, uh, we, bring we bring employees together and there's a whole program every day. There's at least six, seven sessions that operates like a venue, right? So you have uh, the French speaking lunch, you have the, uh, uh, the pets day or the pets afternoon, you have the happy hour Friday, but you also have the launch of a new release. You have a customer coming to talk to us. You have like a Q&A on a number of topics. Uh, town hall obviously is run there. So the smart cafe has become the place to be together, even if we are not in offices. And we have a very distributed workforce, right? 300 employees, about 150 in Europe, 150 in the US, covering all together probably 25 different nationalities. So it's a very, very diverse and, uh, and spread around a team. So that, that's really helped. I think what I, uh, I found here uh, very interesting is when we went out uh, doing uh, engagement surveys, um, it was about three weeks ago, so halfway through, uh, through, the, uh, um, through the confinement period or the shelter in place period. So we asked a number of questions. On a scale of one to 10, uh, how productive do you feel? On a scale of one to 10, do you feel, are you okay handling, balancing work life and personal life? On a scale of one to ten, do you think the company has a good plan? Do you do you are you clear what to do? And it was very interesting because we got really good results and like eight eight point something average on all questions. And so my my team was like, yeah, this is great, Jerome. Look at this, people are happy. And I was like, yeah, but look down the scale here. Look at the five, six, seven, eight, ten people that are in the zeros. They were like, are you feeling productive? Absolutely not. Do you know where we're heading? I have no idea, right? And so there were clearly some people that were in a miserable place. And I, I really insisted on this, is that it right now is a moment to look at the ones that actually are, are struggling and bring them along. And so we have one of our values is as one, which usually is like, yeah, let's go win together. And so no, as one is nobody fails alone, right? So we then run a program where each team lead, each manager actually went through the survey with each and every one of their team members. So we actually identified who was struggling and they actually helped us uh, elevate everyone. That's awesome. Um, that's, thank you for sharing that. All those different ideas. There's so many things I'm gonna apply and I'm gonna come back to some specific questions for you as well, Jerome. So thanks for that. Jason, coming around to you on that same question. What are you seeing? What are you doing? And how are you adapting in this time uh, if you're within your organization, with your people and customers? Yeah, well, the first thing is we steal all the good ideas from other people. So Natalie, I want all your app recommendations. And Jerome, I want to see your survey questions. Um, we, we were really in a fortunate position in, in some regards because we have such a, a, a large employee base that is so distributed around the world and, and very much designed around physical co-located work. 
Um, we, we have operating teams, you know, whether it's air logistics or sea logistics or road logistics that are really built for office environments and they film form really close knit relationships and, and there's very much a kind of tribal spirit uh, in any of the branches or offices that you visit or warehouses that you go to around the world. Because we had spent the last uh, three years or so uh, building um, the first part of a five-year sort of culture journey uh, to, to really awaken and, and unleash the potential of our people and to, to create different vectors of communication and cooperation and collaboration to, to infuse the organization with new habits around reflection and, 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 and um, presence and, and wellness and intentionality and, and to uh, reinforce better leadership communication practices. And, and, and throughout these three years, we've been talking this language that, you know, the future of work is coming and we need different ways of leading and talking to each other. And, you know, we need to, to really very purposefully build different disciplines of, of how we engage and the kind of cultural commitments we make to each other. So then we found ourselves on, on the eve of, of COVID-19 um, sort of with an organization that had already kind of practiced in a way for a couple of years, many of the dynamics that we're now talking about being so essential. And so um, it, it, we were also very fortunate that we had introduced Zoom as a platform last November. And so we literally had like a few weeks of kind of on-ramping before this happened. So if you look at the technology of instant communication, and then you look at this two, three-year, you know, laborious effort of embed embedding kind of more awakened and evolved cultural practices, we were set up to respond to what happened in, in a, and I think in a pretty compelling way. So in a period of about two weeks, we went from having a couple thousand employees working remotely to having over 40,000 employees working remotely uh, within I think 10 days um, with really no droppage in, in performance um, and, uh, and resting on the back of, of many of those communication and, and collaboration practices. I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, we had instituted globally over those two years that every natural working group would have a weekly huddle, a weekly stand-up um, with that natural working group, sometimes bi-weekly on Monday and Friday, 15, 30 minutes of, of open forum discussion and communication to really flatten the hierarchy and open up ideation and really kind of give a shared sense of experience around the natural working group. Those migrated perfectly to the virtual session. Those have gone on uh, without, without missing a beat and, and have become for many thousands of our employees the real kind of touchstone to their week. It's how they start, it's how they end, is connecting in this way. Uh, we then took that and inflected it and, and have opened up a weekly um, uh, uh, huddle for anyone in the world to join. So every Wednesday in two time slots, we have thousands of employees, never met each other, never worked together. They funnel into Zoom. We put them in breakout rooms. They make three or four new friends from across the world. They come back together. We talk about a big kind of rallying cry idea and they go back to work. We do this every single Wednesday. We had already introduced um, uh, what we called credit cards, which are recognition cards and gratitude cards, which, you know, every day thousands of these float across the organization. We just flip those entirely virtual. So now people are just flinging those all around the world uh, in recognition of each other's efforts. And then much to like Natalie, uh, she publishes on a monthly basis. We publish on a weekly basis, what we call the good newsletter. Uh, and it's just a collection of the best uh, stories from teams and individuals around the world uh, to bo boost morale and to sort of shine a spotlight on those who are able to uh, not just make it through this, but find a find a bright spot and be the light. 
Amazing. So thank you for sharing that as well, Jason. So one of the things that I heard consistently from all three of you, and that's something that we're obviously advocating as well, is around this idea of connection and communication, right? So all three of you, all of you use the word communication numerous times describing what you're doing. One of the questions I have is how is your communication changed now versus what it was before? Is it, for maybe for you guys, because you're all exemplars of what conscious leadership and communicative cultures look like from what I gather from talking with you, have you even made a difference or a shift organizationally between pre and post COVID? And if so, what, what does that look like and, and what's been the driver for that change? Besides the, the, the distance, what, what else is, is informing that change? And any one of you can chime in that question. Um, I'll go first if I could. Um, we have absolutely changed our communication and we've made it more frequent and we've made it uh, more intentional and we've also made sure that it's more transparent. So we've also gone to weekly what we call town halls, just like Jason mentioned, we used to have monthly all hand calls. But what we found is it wasn't frequent enough connective tissue with all of our employees. And so now we meet weekly and we've been extremely transparent. We've doubled down on two of our really important cultural pillars of trust and happiness. And you can only build trust if you're transparent. You let the employees know where the business is headed and we are very open about where we may have to make course corrections. And so we are definitely making different communication more frequent and making sure also that it is more of a human connection. So Jason also mentioned that he is having his leaders and, and everyone talk to their employees more and we're having huddles throughout the organization. We're making sure that our leaders are truly touching um, at a more human level. We have babies and toddlers and significant others on calls. So, so this human connection that we've created I think throughout all of our organizations at a time like this has really changed the dynamics uh, of the workforce and the workplace in a way that really is going to create something special for, for the time to come. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Thank you, Natalie. Any other thoughts on that from either of you gentlemen? Yeah, I, th I think in, uh, in times like this is a time of leadership um, and uh, the communication cadence is important. I think the empathy, as uh, Natalie outlined, is really important. And I think the presence of leaders in the org is important. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've said that to my leadership team. I said, this is why you're here. Like in good times, nobody needs you, right? Like, okay, maybe we can discuss the quarterly OKRs and then. <laughs> people just go and do their job it's in times like this that people need you emotionally and for um, and for their day-to-day -day job um, so one thing i did which has worked well is um, beyond the uh, town hall cadence i've actually uh, invited myself um, to uh, the weekly weekly team meetings of my leaders um, so i join each team and if they want they're just like hey jerome can you join and then i I pop in for 15 minutes and we talk about ProServe or we talk about quality assurance or we talk about support or we talk about marketing or we and then being able to answer, get their answers, address questions specifically has been very, very fruitful actually. Um, so I, I would, um, yeah, I would encourage uh, senior leaders in the org to go several layers down and speak openly uh, about um, what questions are on the table. Yeah, and so that, to that point, before I jump in, so 
uh, that was something else that was another common theme was just the role of leaders. I'm glad you reemphasized that, Jerome, is that, and Natalie, you mentioned this about Jeremy, that, you know, leadership really is truly leading. They're taking action. They're, they're doing, they're exhibiting the behaviors. They're taking action aligned with what they're saying, which is really, really important, especially as you implement new ideas, new policies. Um, Jason, you even mentioned something that you were talking about around, around the five-year plan and how intentional you were in getting here and that preparation laid the groundwork for people to thrive. I think that's another example of, of what we're talking about. So I think um, along the same lines is as leaders thinking forward, what do you imagine that you're gonna continue to keep uh, or, or maintain that's been new as a result of the COVID adaptation as leaders, right? So what, what things, you talked about a few of them, but what's really come through is maybe the top one or two things that you're gonna, no matter what, ensure that they continue after we start to return to, to normal, so to speak. That's a great question. That was actually the theme of our last weekly international huddle uh, was what do you leave behind and what do you take with you? Um, and if you're traveling new terrain, sometimes it requires a different uh, rucksack full of different items than, than the one that you got here with. Oh, one of the things we've been discussing a lot is, is the listening posture. We do talk a lot about leadership communication and, and especially in times like this, to Jerome's point, I think that the proactive articulation of human empathetic expressive, vulnerable stories, um, really showing up as a, as a, as a live human um, who's going through this with everybody is really important. Um, what, what we've been trying to, to balance that with is the sense of, of the, the reception. Um, how do we not just be those that transmit, but also those that receive uh, to equip our leaders with the ability to read the mood and the emotion of the organization? Um, already, I mean, we, we have a global organization. So we have uh, COVID was hitting our teams in China, of course, in December. And, and now it's just sort of, you know, hitting many of our, our countries in Latin America. And so we have this wide difference of, of experience and leaders need to be able to, to very quickly understand where their employees are in terms of mindset and um, and mood and, and performance and, and uh, the kind of psychological uh, undulations that are part of this lockdown experience um, so that they can pivot along with them and or, or maybe even be led by them. Um, you know, we were just talking this week about how we're feeling that the, the, um, the appetite in parts of the organization to really stop talking about the crisis of the present and really start talking about the future. They've hit that point. You know, China yeah. hit that point a few months ago. Others will hit that point later. They're still living through crisis. But, you know, you talk to Spain or Italy, they're like, okay, what's next? You know, mm -hmm. let's, let's now start making a, a, the future of work plan. Let's now point our energies towards the future. And you only are able to kind of marshal all that great energy if you understand that's where your employees are. So building, you know, consistent, um, replicable uh, feedback loops uh, with the organization is, is something that we already knew, but it's, it's uh, being rapidly reinforced uh, with every sort of day and weeks migration of, of people's emotions through this crisis. Yeah, so that's, you teed up another question that kind of led into something that Roman said. So you're getting feedback. Obviously, there's, there's always going to be, you know, the, the breakdown of the people that some are, are leading, some people are focused in the future, some are very much in the present, and some are struggling with that change, right? So how are each of you, I mean, we're all, what I can gather, quite optimistic, progressive, like, let's, get, let's, let's move things forward, let's think that way. But how are you addressing the people that are struggling and maybe not even able to express effectively that they're struggling. How is, how is that part of your employee population being supported in a meaningful way? And, and, and how is the team helping to, to coalesce around that too? And there's kind of two, two part question on that topic. If either any one of you can respond to that as well. I mean, we, we just went one-on-one. -on -one. Um, yeah. So we just cascaded down the org 
and we went one on one um, and uh, what we found in the people that were struggling there's some situations we could solve uh, others we couldn't uh, but in many cases, you can really help already by listening. We had people who were worried about their jobs. Okay, very clear that you can answer, right? Uh, we had people who actually were not busy. Uh, a lot of people actually, you know, what, what can I do? How can I help? Um, and that's really also uh, 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 you can help there. People feeling lost, needing more connection. Um, and then the one category that's the harder to uh, um, to actually really help is people whose home setup is just very hard, right? Two young kids, both parents are working, and they're just juggling two hours here, two hours there. So there we had to take measures on actually helping them uh, take time off, work half time. We also have unlimited PTO. So by listening, you come up with personalized solutions um, to make sure that uh, things are going. And we ended up with great situations. Like we have our, our office manager in, in San Francisco is now a, a mid-market renewals manager, right? And she's actually helping us um, manage customer and customer renewals in the segment around a thousand employee, whatever. It's a position we had open. And He's like, hey, I'll raise my hand. The team is actually doing a daily stand-up with her to make sure that she gets the support to be fast-tracked into this job. And it's, and she loves it. And actually, she might stay in that role once the office reopens because she's like, hey, I'm actually good at this stuff, right? So it's a good kind of story. Do you want to move forward? Great. I love that, Jerome. Uh, the reallocation of talent, the new career path opened up. We're seeing that that happen uh, consistently as well, which is really interesting. Um, th there's a way of thinking of this for us in sort of three categories that it, in terms of your question, Derek, around struggling yeah. employees or those that are, are grappling with it. One is, you know, w what can a leader solve in a very kind of small setting with her team? Um, so making sure our leaders, managers are equipped with resources and, and, and coaching and can engage uh, with those that might be struggling. Then what can the kind of institution solve? What can we as a really large entity provide? And so, of course, we have, a, a like all everyone, has an array of benefits. But many of those benefits are not known to all employees, right? Like uh, like counseling sessions and, and, and free access to psychologists and, and, and just making sure that, that the good things we've invested in for a long time are really um, accessible and people know what they can get if they need it. And then the third one is sort of what can the organization solve for itself? It really doesn't need much but a nudge. And so, you know, for instance, I was just listening in last week to um, – um, one of the cohorts that has formed around, uh, Jerome, your point, the remote work with children. And, and this, this went from, you know, a few people on our internal uh, social network um, sort of talking about this struggle to becoming like a really vibrant community uh, of, of enormous numbers of people who are all kind of coming together around how old their kids are. And so you have like, you know, children under three, those parents are talking about how they're managing it and they have calls once a week to support each other. And then another group would be like teenagers or something. Um, and then, uh, you know, whether or not your spouse is working at home with you or not. And they just organize and get together and talk. And, and they don't need a lot of infrastructural support other than the invitation and the opportunity to self-organize. And so the more we can facilitate that and the kind of honest human connections that that creates is often more beneficial than the things we can offer in a kind of formal institutional way. That's, I'm going to dig into that in just a moment, but I want to give an opportunity to Natalie to speak up on anything that was popping for you that I could see you nodding your head in agreement. So, yeah, 
Absolutely. So I, I just think that we are doubling down on our leadership and, and truly understanding, you know, what Jason was talking about and providing them and equipping them with the right resources to be able to deal with these conversations. You know, we're not a large company. We're 250 employees globally. And so we're just making sure that they understand how to have these conversations, how to listen, how to be empathetic. And we've provided resources to our employees to, you know, how to work remote and, you know, anything from education for employees and their children of all ages and so so we're just making sure that employees understand it's okay if you're not okay and so having those conversations and understanding that it's a different time for everyone and everyone is in completely different situations and may have different working hours you know i have an employee that works for me that has a toddler and she's at home with her all day and you know what she works at night that's great so helping leaders to understand that we have to be flexible during this really unique time and how to have those really unique and deep conversations with their employees, which again is creating that connective tissue that we never knew that we'd be able to do globally. And frankly, to be honest, we as a company are finding that, you know, we're able to accomplish a lot more remotely than we ever anticipated. We had a board meeting remotely for the first time and got feedback from our board that it was the most productive and they really enjoyed the remote. So now we're evaluating, do we even have another board meeting in person ever again? Do we need to go back in the workforce? We're reimagining what that's gonna look like. So all of these things that we're starting to think about as leaders in the organization and how we're gonna be coming out of this on the other side. Yeah, I think everyone's much more aware of time and time efficiency and how that all works and, and optimizing for everyone's flows and schedules and ability to collaborate is going to be a huge, that's where the future work really is, in my opinion, really going to see some big changes as a result of this. Um, something that, that you said, Natalie, very clearly and that each of you gentlemen reemphasized was about the idea of empathy and listening and the role of the peer network of the community in, in, in really holding each other in, through this process. Um, and you kind of alluded to it, uh, each of you kind of alluded to it, but I wanted to call attention to it again, is around the vulnerability aspect, right? How do you create an environment for leaders to even acknowledge their own, on their own challenges and their own ability to adapt and work through this? And that every, we're all, again, we're all human, right? We're all experiencing this and working through this unique situation and it's affecting everyone differently depending on their, their circumstances. How are you really creating you know, leadership cohorts and, and really, you know, setting the, the standard for that so that, that, cause again, leadership to your comments, all leadership informs the other leaders and it's a big web. So how are you really building that discipline as well? And even for yourselves personally, what are each of you doing to, you know, cultivate your own well-being uh, and so that you can transmit that healthily to your people? So that's a multi-part question, but my curiosity is just overflowing, so. I'll go first. Um, a lot of the times vulnerability is uh, viewed as a sign of weakness. And, you know, it's not something that's ever taught in school. And, you know, people don't focus on EQ and, and how important self-awareness is. And so I think that we all need to create environment where, environments where it's psychologically safe to be able to be vulnerable. And luckily we have a CEO that believes passionately and deeply into that. And so he has created an environment where number one, we don't have egos. And, and number two, it's a psychologically safe environment where people can come forward if they have vulnerable situations. And so I think it starts with the leadership and making sure that our leaders understand it's okay and that they can create that safe environment for all their employees to come forward should they have a need. And and know how to then address it again going back to providing the resources that the leaders need during these unique times 
I'm going to come back to that question in a little bit, both of you, Natalie, specifically, but I want to open up to you gentlemen as well. I was just um, going to ask if anybody else really wants to meet Natalie's CEO. I feel I, like I do for sure. This guy on the planet, yeah. like let's yeah. get him on the next panel, please. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'll just mention one thing. You know, I, I had said that we invested in this cultural platform, and part of it was installing these real cultural champions um, in in our in all of our countries around the world, who were really kind of the voice of the employee and the voice of the ideal culture in every conversation. And they've been really great companions for our leaders um, because they were chosen because of their um, empathetic skills, their emotional intelligence, their ability to think of, of service as a worldview, service to colleagues, to customers, community, you know, th thinking about community engagement, planetary impact, you know, these kind of elevated consciousness. And so ha having a, a kind of a shadow or a partner for a leader to kind of be um, the better angel on the, on the shoulder, you know, when communications are being written or when decisions are being made, um, I think is a, is a, a noble thing to invest in. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. I I think to Natalie's point, it's it starts really from the top. Like the CEO sets the tone here. You can say, oh, senior leaders, you know, but actually, the real the CEO um, sets the tone, um, and then from there it cascades. The CEO is vulnerable. The execs are vulnerable. The managers, and it goes down. And I really start think it starts there. So, I I started this whole thing. My first town hall, I said, yeah. Guys, I don't know about you, but I'll be honest, I'm shit scared. Like there really, yeah. I've never done this before. Like I've, I've never been in a situation like this and we're selling recruiting software, right? Who's recruiting right now, right? So yeah, I'm scared. But then I, I also think, and then I went on to, you know, what are we gonna do about it, right? And it's interesting, it's this, uh, uh, I don't know if you guys know the, the Stockdale paradox, if you've read this or whatever, but okay, Stockdale was a, a military man in the, in the US who did eight years in Viet Cong camps, right? And he survived, he wrote a book, da da da. da. And, uh, and then it was, I think Jim Collins was quoting him in his book, but he said, so it's interesting, how do you survive eight years in, in camps like this? And what kind of people actually made it through? And, uh, and he said, you know, it's really interesting because I'll make it short, but all the optimists, they died. They were thinking, yeah, by Christmas, we will be released. And guess what? We were never released by Christmas. So they just died. All the pessimists who were like, we're fucked, they died too. And the only ones that actually made it through are the ones that managed to reconcile an absolute belief that in the end, we will prevail, we will win. In this case, we will be released with the ability to face the harsh brutality of the current facts. And I think there is some good guidance for leaders, right? Because yeah. you're going to say, don't worry, guys, we're going to be okay. No, that's not true, right? Or, oh, holy shit, we're, you know, this is not going to work. This is not good. And finding that balance and for everyone to find their inner paradox, which is, okay, this is a difficult situation. But in the end, we're going to come out stronger, right? right? And that really, uh, um, that really uh, resonated internally. And I'm, I'm watching right now a team of uh, Smartians. We call ourselves Smartians. But I'm watching a, a, a team of Smartians that is the, the most focused, the most impactful, and the most blunt that I have seen in 10 years at this company. Like people are really all in. And they know that we're going to fight this one together. 
yeah. I committed to no layoffs um, in the organization. Most of our competitors have been laying off 10, 20, 30, 40% of their staff. But I said, guys, but for, for us to keep this promise, this is about each of you. Like, you got to roll up your sleeve and, and let's pull no punches. Like, we're going to come out of this stronger than we, come, we came yeah. in. Like, I don't want to weather the storm. Yeah. I want to strive in that storm. So that balance of like, ooh, this is scary, but you can trust me is I think where leadership finds a good place. I think we've, we've stumbled upon one of Jerome's hacks for vulnerability, which is the yeah. highly, highly effective use uh, of profanity. <laughs> you know, you, you, you stick that in at the right Excuse moment. Excuse my French. No, no, yes, no, no fantastic. <laughs> uh, I was just, you know, what, what's a good panel without a little debate, Jerome? I, I don't know that I fully buy into it starts from the top. It, it may, in fact, most of the time, some of the time, I don't know. I, I just want to make a case for it starting from the side or it's mm -hmm. starting also from the bottom. Um, just in the sense that, you know, when you have a, a really large organization that's, that's globally distributed, the pockets of influence might be smaller or different. And, and, and whereas the CEO and board members and top, top, top management do represent a certain kind of ethos or psychology, it's often maybe someone who's in a different proximity or in a different location that really has a, lar a, a, a bit more influence. And I also think that there's, it, it may potentially sometimes be undervalued the, the power of, of the kind of system itself to, to inspire itself, yeah. that the kind of, you know, grassroots communication campaigns and storytelling and, and creating a very vibrant culture of showcasing great stories, that there's a, a way for the, the culture and environment to be its own lighthouse and to not always be asking the yeah. top leadership to sort of tell us who to be, but that we tell each other who to be by the way we choose to behave and the stories we choose to tell. Thank you both for sharing that because I think you both are spot on in that. And it actually ties in nicely with my question. I can tell that Natalie wants to chime in too. Cause so I'll, I'll let you, I'll, I'll put it two ways. So one, you mentioned something before that, that, that Jeremy has done around creating an environment where there's no egos. I think that's exactly, you use that exact phrase. That's exactly what we're talking about where he's created a culture where people can truly create from the side and from the ground up. And it really is co-creating. Um, can you tell us some specific things that he's done? That was my question or that you're seeing with Integrate specifically that's allowed that, and then whatever else you wanted to elaborate on in response to the gentleman's comment, I, I wanna hear what you have to say about that, Natalie. Sure, can I start with the, talking yeah. about what they were just talking about? Absolutely. I think it's a combination of the two. So I think it takes grassroots efforts and it also takes support of the CEO. So what we found during this time is we also have what we call a culture club, um, get it, play on uh, the, the, the songs and, and the, the music. But um, basically the, the club has come forward and made really fun competitions and spirit days and we're wearing hats and have competitions of you know who has the best virtual background, who can create an integrate logo with what they have at their home. So, so just creating something because I think we're all forgetting to create the fun and levity um, that we all all need in our lives right now and so we're having happy hours and coffee chats and we're doing Pictionary and bringing in games that are live across our entire org so just wanted to, to cut out on that and then as far as what we're doing and what Jeremy uniquely does is we hire around our values and it's a non-starter for us. So we could get someone who has the best skills, but if they don't fit our values and they come in and they walk in the door with an ego, we will not hire them. The other thing that's very unique about Jeremy is that he is completely vulnerable himself. And he will do that in group settings. He'll do it in front of the entire company. And he has learned what it means. And, and you can see that it's truly authentic. 
that it is not something that is not really true to his self. And I think that's something that's very unique about our CEO that then has been penetrated throughout the organization. And so I can tell you though, it starts with our hiring and living our values. Amazing. It all starts with hiring. Yeah. Awesome. What? I think unless you guys have some other comments here on, on that, I think we're going to open up here in just a moment for questions from the audience, actually. I think we could continue talking about lots of different topics, but I want to at least give the opportunity um, for the folks in the crowd to, to ask questions and to, to learn from each of you and myself. There we go. What's the most innovative or radical thing that you've done to make your people happy and engaged? I connect them back to the purpose. That's my way of doing it. Um, our purpose is simple. We created the company to connect people to jobs at scale. And so um, beyond the hardship of today, beyond the fight of business, beyond your personal hardship, don't forget why we are here. Um, and so we invested heavily actually in uh, uniting customers. We donated back and supported our community a lot. Um, so we started uh, free certification courses, a new hiring success masterclass, and, and really like helping, stepping up for our customers and stepping up for the market. Um, we launched a, a platform, like the first one we, we Sorry, we launched six platforms to this day to connect people to jobs in various contexts. The first one was Jobs for Lebanon, um, yeah. connecting Lebanese expats to people in Lebanon who combine the economic crisis and COVID uh, and they have zero job. Um, and so getting people to really talk to each other and connect. And um, we just launched this week, uh, uh, Recruiters Recruiting Recruiters, uh, mm -hmm. which is a, a platform that has like, over 300 corporates are now part of it, like think Amazon and Walmart, like every, like the Fortune 500 of, um, of America is in there with any recruiters, TA professionals, anybody that's related to recruiting can sign up and join this talent pool and be offered other jobs, but also connect. And through this, through this nonprofit part, the CSR part of Smart Recruiters really stepped up and pushed and said, this is who we are. And so connecting people back to the purpose, yeah. uh, to me, like supersedes everything else um, that you can do. Because um, when people know why they're here, then good behavior starts. Yeah. It's a great answer, Jerome. I was just reflecting on Janae's question, which is a really good one. But sometimes the things, the, the word radical, um, you know, depends on your context, you know, and so, you know, w there are many radical things that are happening because they are departures from our normative <laughs> dehumanized business practices. Uh, and so they're, they're not really, they shouldn't be radical, but they feel radical. One of those, Jerome, is I think pointing people back to um, community work or you mentioned CSR work, um, which I think, you know, Janae, if, if, if your question about happiness is, is kind of about deeper, truer happiness, uh, one of the most effective, most proven ways to to shake people out of their anxiety is to point them towards someone else's need and to put them in a position to be a helper. And so we've been talking about a lot uh, internally around the work that we do and have increased um, of late, of course, moving PPE and 
ventilators and um, a really unique story came out of our over our road logistics team in Chicago about moving this this mobile decontamination unit which is uh, turning around 80,000 masks a day uh, in P95 masks that are in 95 masks so they can be reused it really helping people understand that the the operational work they do is connected to to saving lives and helping them see that that when they focus and when they pay attention to the details and when they show up uh, that their work is 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 multiplying value in 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 truly human ways um, outside of the business context. So I think the most radical thing we've done is really try to recalibrate um, how we're talking about value proposition. That it's not you know our our way of measuring that has always been in standard units of measurement that all companies use, but these days you're hearing our people talk much more about about human impact, um, and I think that's a that's a nice radical departure. So. So to that point, I mean, each of all three of you, and I could say with lifeguards as well, I, I think it's a fair statement that each of us hires and, and coaches and, and leads towards our mission and our values. And the fact that that is a radical concept to me seems almost commonsensical to all of us, I would imagine. And yet, arguably, it is still a fairly radical idea in the context of, of business, which is why I feel so blessed that I get to talk with each of you today and, and that there's other people working on building companies in that way. Um, and because and we're, we're definitely of the same mindset. I mean, just we're literally in the business, as you all probably know, we're in the business of helping other people, help people facilitated by technology to help other people so that we can do more goodness in the world. And that's literally what, what LifeGuides is doing. So I, I'm very much appreciative of each of you sharing, um, you know, what, what you're doing in that context as well. So thank you. Um, Go ahead, Natalie, you want to say something? I could say about me for a second. Um, two things. I just wanted to double click on what Jason said. And we've rolled out Integrate Cares. And it really has shown how we as employees have been helping other employees. And so we've really tried to make it, okay, what are we doing? And there are some folks that we have in New York. And they, we have some with medical conditions that cannot go out and get groceries. And so sharing those personal experiences and what we're doing to, to show within our communities. And we've created PPE masks and that type of thing. So, so I agree that that really is creating really that human aspect that really employees are looking for during this time. And the other thing I would say, which I don't think this is radical, but I will tell you, we have the ability to ask anonymous questions live on our weekly town hall. And let me tell you, they're tough. So, you know, Jeremy will get a question because we have a UK operation that is not operating very well financially. And guess what? He gets asked, are you going to be laying off in the UK? You know, and we answer transparently. So, yes, it's a little bit radical, but you know what? That's how you create transparency and trust and really start to live our values. Awesome. Thank you. That's great. Uh, we have a number of questions here. Uh, some of the first step ideas for team building activities that create a workplace of comfortable psychological vulnerability. I think you've all kind of alluded to it a bit, but, but it's a very specific question. So come around to each of you. I'll call back to a, a piece that I mentioned earlier these weekly stand-ups or these weekly huddles. I mean, depending on what industry you work on, this is a standard practice. People have stand-ups, but they're, they're almost always generated. Um, they're pointed towards um, the product development or the operational workflow or whatnot. But, but instead, we, we said we're going to do cultural stand-ups, right? So these, these weekly or bi-weekly um, uh, conversations. And to get them started, we designed um, activities, conversation guides for the first many dozen of these to help teams kind of build a rhythm of what it felt like to come together and have a conversation that wasn't about optimizing workflow and that wasn't about the product development backlog, but it was actually about what it's like to work together as a team. 
Um, we are later this year going to open up a lot of our cultural toolkit for, for others to use and borrow if you like. But, but I think the very simple practice of, of helping people um, carve out time to spend together that is not devoted to the work at hand and then giving them the structure to make that time successful. Um, it's, it might, might not be in your industry, Brendan, or, or wherever you are, but it, it, it's, it's quite possible that you put a natural working group team together to have a conversation that's not about work and they don't know what to do. Um, so, so giving them you know, prompts, provocations, structure, for these conversations to be healthy. And then you can progressively make them more sophisticated and difficult. And of course, what we found is that once you get people in a rhythm of having these meetings, they become addicted to them, right? They long for them, different people lead them, they pass around the baton, and then they become forums or platforms for discovery and dissemination. Um, and so you can kind of push the envelope as needed in whichever cultural direction you need to once you've kind of got the standard practice established. Any additional follow-up from either of you? We can always, we have lots of questions we can keep rolling through. I, one question I found interesting here is, is, what have you tried that didn't work in this time? And how did you know to, to move off of it? So is there anything that you, is there any responses that you specifically tried as a result of this new reality um, that maybe did not go as expected or intended? That's always a good lesson as well for people. I think we found that uh... Any, any initiative that you do um, needs to be very precise, uh, very well communicated. And I like, Jason, a number of ex examples and initiatives you, you outlined, right? Because there are like small things that you know exactly what they are for. And therefore, you can opt in, you can make it a habit and so on, right? So I think you, you kind of throw an idea, does it become a habit? Does it have the potential to become a habit? If yes, continue. If no, stop. It's an interesting fork in the road, right? Because otherwise it quickly feels noisy. It's like, oh, we have yeah. a pet afternoon. Okay. okay. But it could actually be very meaningful if you structure it in the right way and it becomes a habit. And suddenly your group of employees are connecting in this and that way around the ideas of you know, what are you doing with your pet? So it's like, be specific. That's a really good point. Um, Derek, this is a really interesting question and I'm, I'm going to reflect more on it because the fact that I don't have a good answer for you means that I need to, to think more about it. But as I've been reflecting, I, I, I have felt and continue to feel a little anxiety about sort of the, the one of the dominant uh, neural instincts of a human being, which is to seek comfort and status quo as quickly as possible. And so, you know, even though we all know we're in this time of upheaval, we, we very, very, very quickly want to produce something that's normal. And so we right. have, you know, in effect, normalized Zoom, when really what we ought to be doing is really interrogating Zoom and asking, what's it for? What's it not for? Are you using it well? Are you using it too much? Are you not using it enough? Like, why, you know, um, and so we, we have very quickly snapped to this as our default means of communication, which, as we all know, is going is is already kind of part, you know, uh, encouraging certain uh, dysfunctions of, of another type. And so um, I use that just as an example to say, I think one of the things we ought to be doing more of is uh, in an ongoing, unending, consistent fashion, interrogating every new thing. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, you, you, this the rush towards a solution uh, because you need one at hand. Um, might might not always be the one you want for more than a week or two weeks. You know, you need to continue to optimize. Um, and I think it's been tough to do that while responding to the business continuity issues, et cetera. It's a really good answer. Thank you, Jason, for that. And I, I would add that, you know, we're in an agile environment here. And so we like to try things. And if they don't work, to move on. 
And so this is a very small example, but um, we had coffee chats when we first started. And what we found is it was the people team attending. <laughs> and it was probably because it wasn't the ultimate time, right? It was during the day. So then we started happy hours. And we also found that they were too frequent. So, you know, this whole learn as you go and this agile mentality is what we operate under. And so we found, okay, that doesn't work. Let's pivot. And now let's go ahead and have happy hours that happen monthly that are more meaningful and more deep. And then you can have more conversations with employees globally. That's great as well. Thank you, Natalie. So I think um, each of us are in different stages of our organizations in terms of our size and maturity. So I think this is an interesting question for all of us to kind of end, so to speak, with. What do you want employees to say about your company in three, five, ten years time from now? I think, and especially as you think about where we are now and, and to that point, what is the next phase of our going to look like and how does that align with our long-term visions and our values and, and how things are going to change as a result of this? What, what does that look like for each of you? And I'll wrap it up, but I want to go around the, the horn, so to speak. I'll answer quickly and then I'll get out of the way because this was a topic of conversation, uh, dominated topics of conversation for the past week. Um, we, want it, we want people to say we did this in a, we, we res did everything in a people first way. Uh, that, that any of our responses was always about the human uh, experience first uh, and then everything else uh, second. And I'm, I'm really pleased with some of the significant financial decisions our, our, our board of directors has made around our dividend allocation this year, uh, which uh, you know, amongst our competitors, we're the only organization to respond in such a way uh, to really keep cash on hand to make sure that, that our employees were, were given a chance to keep their jobs. We pulled every available lever that we have at our disposal across all of our national organizations to ensure that we, we gave people a chance to keep jobs. Um, and this was from vacation allocation to you know, reduced working hours, uh, to temporary furlough, to mandatory vacation. I mean, it was, it was everything we could do. Um, at 401k allocations, like we were thinking uh, uh, in every possible direction to make sure that, that we gave our people a chance to, to stay with a job uh, and to take care of their families and then to equip them with what they needed uh, to stay well. Um, and not just to stay productive, but to stay well. Uh, so anyway, that's what we want. People first. It's great, Jason. Thank you. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll piggyback on it all in. I mean, this is really about people. And I think people are going, going to remember um, whether you behaved as an employer uh, or as an investor, uh, right? And um, there are many behaviors um, that you can implement uh, here um, to put people first. Um, and it starts with uh, uh, some of what Jason mentioned, like how are you going to make sure that nobody gets impacted uh, if they don't need to? Um, we've seen a number of our customers pull uh, redeployment platforms together. Um, so it's like, oh, okay, anybody impacted, come here, and sign up to a general talent pool. We're going to communicate with you. And for sure, when we start hiring again, you will be the first one to know. For sure, we're not going to hire somebody externally if we could have this person internally, right? And organizing the transparency and the fluidity of talent, especially at scale when you have, uh, like, uh, uh, like Jason, uh, you know, tens of thousands of employees around the world is pretty difficult to do, right? Um, and so if you step up for your employees, they'll remember it. Everybody understands it's hard. Everybody understands that no, not everybody will keep their job in most organizations, right? Okay, fine. But then were you really fighting for me? Did you do everything possible to help me is what people will remember. 
Thank you, Jerome. It's great. I know we're running out of time. Can I answer really quick? Because uh, I am so passionate about people first. And I truly believe that during this time, they're going to remember if you treated them as a human or you treated them as an employee. And that's what's going to differentiate you as an employer and as a senior leadership team. And so they'll remember, okay, am I going to have a lasting legacy here? And am I going to remember exactly the way that I was treated? And so that's something that we have done is put our people first and put, you know, our business. Obviously, we have to balance the two, but the people are always coming first in every decision that we make. Yeah, we completely agree. And that's also just to echo exactly what each of you has said. That's exactly how Life Guides wants to be remembered. We want to be here recognized as a company that helped other companies put humans and their people first, no matter where they are in that continuum of, of struggle and suffering to complete thriving and growth. We want to be there to help as a resource for those people to do that. And ultimately, 10 years from now, the goal is that we're helping a billion plus families who have been, their suffering has been alleviated or reduced because of the fact that we're helping people be most effective in that, in those different environments at home and work. That's really what we want to be remembered. And this is the time as a young company that we can help and really stand out in support of companies and leaders such as each of you. So I just want to, again, thank you all for joining us today. Um, thank you all, especially for being conscious leaders and rebels with a heart within your companies and within your lives. Uh, it's really, truly a joy to know you and to be opportunity to work with each of you. And um, I just wish you nothing but the best and, and I'm appreciative of your time. So, so thank you again. And thank you to our audience for making the time to join us today as well. Yep. Derek, thank you, Derek. everyone. Thank Thanks you, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. Bye.